Welcome to this edition of our Top 10 Risks series. In this series, we focus on the key dispute risks currently facing our asset management clients. My name is Adam Brown, and I'm a partner in our litigation and arbitration team here at Simmons. And I'm joined today by Stuart Doxford and Emily Blower, who are both managing associates in that litigation and arbitration team. Today, we will be discussing the risks posed by environmental, social and governance considerations, or ESG. We selected ESG as one of our top 10 risks for asset managers due to its complexity and its potentially very significant impacts. Getting it wrong in this area can have major implications commercially and reputationally, quite aside from legally. ESG is an issue that spans across an asset manager's business, from its investment management processes as part of its governance and when making stewardship decisions and decisions um, regarding disclosures. ESG is not just an issue for those managers that operate funds with specific ESG branding. It's an issue that's across the, uh, the spectrum of funds on offer and we will try to draw out some of the hot topics that we are seeing covering issues around regulation, litigation, reputation and stewardship. We won't have time today for a full explanation of how each of those risks can be mitigated. Uh, that topic is just too big for the time available. However, we will give some insight into how we're structuring our client conversations around risk mitigation so that you can consider whether a uh, discussion tailored to your business along those lines would be of interest. I'm going to kick off the discussion by asking Stuart uh, a question just to, to really lead us in with a, uh, an overview of the key ESG specific regulations and global initiatives that are currently on the radar for our asset management clients. Great, Thank you. thanks very much, Adam. Um, as you said, there are a number of current and upcoming regulatory and legal developments that give rise to risk and that we're focused on with clients at the moment. I'll just give you a flavour of some of those. So firstly, the UK government's intention to introduce fully mandatory TCFD-aligned climate-related financial disclosure requirements by 2025 is very much at the forefront of our clients' minds. I think particularly as a significant portion of mandatory requirements will be in place by 2023, so not, not too far away now. In June this year, we saw the FCA publish its consultation paper um, concerning its proposals for climate-related disclosures by asset managers, by insurers, and FCA-regulated pension providers um, towards investors. And these requirements are due to be made by the 30th of June, 2023. Um, another key uh, interesting and uh, uh, development which we're very much focused on is the Independent Green Technical Advisory Group which has recently been appointed um, to advise the government on the delivery of the green taxonomy in the UK and I'm sure many of you will have heard a lot about the taxonomy. Um, this is a really significant step towards developing that green taxonomy framework in the UK and I think by clearly defining activities that count as environmentally sustainable the taxonomy will be a really important tool to clamp down on greenwashing. So again, a real focus for clients um, in the next 18 months or so. Um, we're also focused on the stewardship code, in, uh, which was in, uh, came out in 2021, which requires ESG factors to be taken into account in all stewardship activities. Um, and asset managers must ensure that their decision making, uh, their decision making is aligned with the needs of their clients. 
And then an another point I just wanted to flag is also that we're seeing an increasing issues arising in relation to incomplete and inconsistent ESG data. And we saw this very much with Boohoo last year. So that's just a flavor of some of the issues that we're touching on with clients at the moment. And I think it's important to reference that these developments are very much against the backdrop of COP26, which is coming up in Glasgow in November. I think there's still some uncertainty around the outcome of the summit and many will be calling for the delivery of a coherent vision around achieving global net zero. Um, but I think we can very much expect to see further acceleration of regulation and, and very much more market focus on ESG related issues coming up. Thanks Stuart. And against the backdrop of those initiatives, can you talk us through some of the key sources of regulatory risk that are currently facing asset managers? Yeah, absolutely. So from a UK regulatory perspective, we've seen an uptick in enforcement focus in the past six months in particular, I think. The FCA has made it clear that it expects improvements in the quality of investor-facing documentation relating to funds with a sustainability and a ESG focus. The, the, the FCA in particular has said that it will look very closely at governance arrangements um, to ensure that there's understanding in the industry, that there's oversight, there's accountability for ESG risks in portfolio companies. The FCA and other regulators also appear to be particularly concerned um, with the potential for greenwashing, which I touched on a moment ago. I think there is um, very much a uh, focus on greenwashing at the moment. Um, um, and a, a lack of clear and sufficient disclosures for fund making ESG related claims makes um, makes for poor investor outcomes and, and distrust in the sector, which I think may well also prompt further regulatory action. And then further significantly, in, in mid-July, the FCA published a letter which it sent to the chairs of authorised fund managers which outline their expectations on the design and delivery of disclosure of ESG and sustainable investment funds. I think the letter was principally motivated by concerns that some managers and funds were exaggerating their ESG credentials and, and therefore undercutting the ability of investors to gauge the ESG performance of different funds and, and in turn damaging market efficiency. The letter effectively establishes the UK equivalent of the SFDR Article 8 and 9 regime, but with some additional requirements, importantly. Um, the thrust of the FCA's letter is the overarching principle that a fund's ESG focus should be consistently reflected in its name, in its objectives, its strategy, its policy and its holdings. These principles are intended to be complementary to obligations under SFDR and they apply to managers of UK authorised funds. However, I think there is scope for read across to managers of other funds. There's certainly an element here of, of race to the top and, and that, I think that will drag up expectations on others. The FCA importantly also makes um, quite an important point around its expectations for monitoring real world outcomes. And it's clear that to satisfy the requirements under the principles, managers will need to focus on ESG risk with a, with a similar scrutiny to which it does with, with other credit risks. And I think this means developing frameworks to identify the ESG issues that are most relevant to a sector's financial performance and performing due diligence on them. And then moving beyond the UK, um, among other things, we've been considering with clients the implications of the very recent US SEC and, and German BaFin investigations into Deutsche Bank's um, asset management arm uh, DWS Group. And that was after the firm's former head of sustainability said it had overstated its, um, its used 
it's, it's sustainable investment criteria to manage its assets. Um, DWS has denied this to be the case, but clearly you can see that even open questions can give rise to reputational risks um, within the market. Thanks very much, Stuart. Um, moving on then to sources of litigation risk, could you maybe give us an overview of the areas of focus and, and how we can sort of look to mitigate those risks? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of litigation risk, we're focused on helping clients to mitigate risk in a number of different ways. Um, greenwashing allegations are perhaps the most commonly talked about litigation risk and could be made by an investor even absent any of the FCA findings, which we just discussed. We've also seen evidence um, that a failure to provide information on a fund's um, climate change business risks and actions um, taken by it may risk um, incurring liability in and of itself. And we saw this with the Australian pension fund case, um, Reston McVeigh, uh, in 2019. There's also the prospect of broader fiduciary or tortious duty claims against managers. Um, so those, that's a flavour of some of the litigation risk, but our work with clients to date has been to mitigate litigation risk by focusing on a few key planks, which I think are just worth touching on very briefly. First of all, I'll just make the point that it's absolutely critical for investment managers to look carefully at what has been agreed relating to ESG in its offering documents, in the IMA, or in any other investment mandate document. If any of these documents contain a commitment to assess adverse impacts of investment decisions on sustainability factors, then that really has to be carried out. And any failure to do so clearly exposes the manager to litigation risk. I think interestingly, it may be no defense to a claim um, that the investor has suffered no loss, um, financial loss that is. And we saw this in 2019 with a FOS decision in which a compensation payment was awarded for an inadvertent breach of investment mandate, which was to avoid investing in SIN goods. But the client didn't suffer a loss. And whilst FOS decisions have no binding or persuasive authority, I think the decision may be indicative of how a regulator may treat similar cases in the future. But essentially this bears out a very simple point and that's that investment managers need to make sure that what they do in practice matches what they promise to do and what their clients have requested them to do. And then secondly I'll just say that a systemic approach to investment decision making and backed up by a very good record keeping can also act to mitigate the litigation risk for investment managers. So for example an aggrieved investor who seeks to allege um, a breach of a manager's tortious duty to exercise perhaps due, due skill, care and diligence um, you can see that a framework of policies um, and systems and a clear record for investment decisions will provide a very crucial line of defence. And then finally, another important defence is to give accurate disclosure. And that describes the role played by, in particular, played by ESG due diligence in the investment process. And this, again, is another key part of litigation risk mitigation. Thanks very much, Stuart. I'm going to turn now to Emily and ask her to describe for us some of the trends that we are seeing in terms of stewardship actions by asset managers as shareholders in their portfolio companies. Thanks, Adam. Um, we've seen a significant shift in shareholder voting behaviour from asset managers, contributing to record levels of support for ESG shareholder proposals this year. This is particularly well demonstrated by the ExxonMobil vote on the 26th of May this year, where a majority of Exxon shareholders voted in favour of three out of four directors nominated by Engine Number no. 1, an activist hedge fund which held just 0.02% of Exxon shares. Launching a proxy vote in December 2020, Engine Number no. 1 argued that the oil and gas group's refusal to recognise the need for a transition away from fossil fuels 
failed to take into account financial risks posed by climate change, which would result in value destruction. Its arguments secured, secured support from state pension funds, including New York State, and large asset managers, including BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. This shift in stewardship action by asset managers reflects the increasing pressure on them through the regulatory requirements and stakeholder expectations that Stuart touched on to deliver sustainable long-term success in a socially responsible manner, whether they have an ESG mandate or not. Given the recent landmark court decision in The Hague against Royal Dutch Shell, we expect that the financial risk of climate change argument used against Exxon will be combined with increased scrutiny on whether a company's climate strategy aligns with the Paris Agreement. In that case, the court found Shell's existing climate strategy to be insufficient and ordered the company to increase the rate at which it cuts its emissions so as to align with the Paris Agreement. Asset managers, again, whether they have an ESG investment mandate or not, may also find themselves under increasing pressure to align their shareholder voting policies and decisions with the Paris Agreement. Finally, although there is certainly a focus on the E with respect to shareholder action, the S should not be forgotten. For example, human rights in the supply chain, as Boohoo found. Thanks very much, Emily. And just before we wrap up, could you give us a bit of a flavour and a sense of how we've been delivering client training on the topic of ESG? Of course. We've recently run sessions with our financial sector clients' legal teams, which have received very positive feedback and a lot of follow-up. Each session is very much tailored to the client. The idea behind these sessions is how do we engage lawyers across transactional, investigations, litigation and regulatory in ESG so that everyone has a base level of knowledge. For some attendees, there's a regulatory hook, but for others, what we're hoping is that the session enables them to build ESG into their day-to-day -day advice to the business. For example, testing and challenging investments by reference to what has been said publicly or mitigating litigation risk. We're also increasingly running specific litigation or regulatory risk sessions to cover some of what we've touched on today in more detail. The importance of these types of sessions and getting your house in order is growing exponentially, as demonstrated by the recent FCA letter and DWS investigation that Stuart mentioned. Thanks very much, Emily. I'm afraid we've run out of time for today, but clearly this is a fast growing and developing area and one that really ought to be watched by all asset managers, whether they manage ESG specific funds or not. We hope that this podcast will give you food for thought and would very much welcome a discussion in more detail if you would like about how ESG may impact on your organisation. Please also look out for other videos in this series where we will cover other risk issues from an asset management perspective and how they can be managed and mitigated. Thanks very much for your time.